0: Hey, good morning, Resonate. Good morning. It's great to be together this morning. I just want to pause for a second. I heard some women trying to cheer for the Forge conference. Can we just do that right now? Come on. That was awesome. I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited about what God's doing amongst our women at Resonate. And man, his goodness on display there. So um, do you know, too, that we have a middle school camp this weekend and we have a bunch of kids that are off at middle school? Yeah. I know some of you parents are super excited about that. You've had like a great weekend. and uh, But eight of those kids came to know Jesus last night. They put their faith in Jesus. So got some amazing things to celebrate as a church. All right, so here's the question I want to start with is what can you tolerate? What can you tolerate? Um, I shared a room growing up with my older brother and, you know, as brothers do... You know, you always put a line down the center, like this is my half and that is your half, right? Because my brother was more type A and I'm more like type Z, like I have no, like, you know, he just had all his stuff organized and my stuff was just chaos. So that line down the center was really important. Anybody else share a room like that? Like, are you glad you don't anymore? Like, I'm pretty sure my brother's like glad he's not sharing a room with me anymore. Um, How about sounds? Remember the old school days when they used to have blackboards, chalkboards, And the fingers down, the fingernails down the chalkboard doesn't work so well on a whiteboard, but that sound is kind of hard to tolerate. How about um, when someone emails you in all caps? You know, like that's the worst. Like, are you yelling at me right now? I I don't really know what's going on right now. Or how about this one? How about when someone takes the last square of toilet paper and doesn't put a toilet roll back? Yeah, like help. Uh, What am I supposed to do? How about someone who takes their kids to the movies, to an adult movie, and you just hear a toddler playing in the background? It's harder to tolerate, right? Like, uh, can you give me a free ticket for the next one, please? Because how about like when you're standing in line for coffee or you're ordering food or something, and it's a long line. And by the time you get to the front, you've picked out everything that you, you know, because you've had like five or ten minutes. But the person in front of you is not ready at all. They get to the counter and it's like they're surprised they're there. Like, that's hard to tolerate, right? Or how about, um, how about certain chewing sounds? I can see you going like this. Like, honey, that's you. Like, you chew loudly, and it's hard to tolerate. Like, that, that is a... I think that's the cause, cause of more divorce than anything else, is chewing noises, Right? So, we're in a series called Refractions, and the idea is the light of God comes into us and then just pours out. The love of God just pours into us and pours out. And this morning we're talking about tolerance specifically. So, His tolerance pours into our lives and it pours out to others. Now, as believers in Jesus, we are called to be tolerant. He says things like, be patient or bear with one another. But this idea of tolerance actually goes a little bit further. The dictionary defines tolerance as this: the ability or willingness to tolerate something, in particular, the existence or of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. Oh, now it's getting real, isn't it? Like, oh, how do I how do I do this? And maybe the question is especially as believers, it's on our minds is what do we tolerate? What are we to tolerate? And how are we to tolerate? Who are we to tolerate? When are we to tolerate? And in the passage today that we're going to be studying, Paul is giving the church in Corinth a lesson on tolerance. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 8. But before we get to reading the text, I want to give you some background here. Because if you remember, the church in Corinth is a very diverse church. The the town Corinth was actually formed in 44 BC by Julius Caesar, and it is a port town. It's a trading route. And so people from all over the world, so think Greeks, Jews, Romans, all sorts of ethnicities, young and old, all sorts of religions and ideas, all coming to this town. And you know they've all got different opinions on everything. And so Paul goes to this town in 50 AD and he begins to start a church there. And as he starts a church, he doesn't just gather believers, he gathers people from all these various backgrounds. And he starts this amazing church in Corinth. And then he leaves that church to go and plant churches in other places. He leads, leaves elders there, leaders there to, to guide the church. But then he starts to hear a couple years later about things that are going on in the church. Different sins, different things that are happening. And so he writes the two longest letters that he writes in the New Testament to us, 1 Corinthians and, 1, and 2 Corinthians, as a help to the church, and he addresses all sorts of things in these letters. One, one thing he addresses is sin issues, things that are black and white, right and wrong. But then he also talks about preference issues and personal matters and corporate matters. And what Paul is addressing to the church today is what we might call one of those preference issues or maybe a gray area. It's not black and white, it's kind of gray, So in Scripture, God is very clear on some issues. Things like adultery, lying, gossiping, pride, favoritism, having any gods before God. He's really clear on this. But there are also some issues in Scripture that he is not so clear on. What a church building should look like, for example. Uh, What church services should look like and the time of them. So some of you are like, I could never go to a Thursday night service. Like, that's totally out of the question, even though we have one, right? Because your thought, your preference is a Sunday morning service. You're like, Sunday is the only day of the week we need to be going to church. That's a preference issue. There's not much in Scripture about which day of the week we need to worship on. How about Bible translations? You know, we use the ESV here, the English Standard Version. One of my favorite versions is the NLT, the New Living Translation. Do we have a rule on which one we have to use or which way we go in this. No, it's a preference issue. How about if a man should have a beard? I, I'm, I'm super, this is the only thing I can do better than pastor Ryan is grow a beard. And I think that's awesome. Like, I, I'm just so glad I, how about if you should rent or own a home? Like, is that, that's a preference issue. i um, being a morning or night person. I used to think this was a moral issue until my wife convinced me otherwise. And she's like, it's not a moral issue. It's a preference issue. And it's actually a body clock issue, right? So, but here's the thing. Gray areas, we treat one way. Sin areas, we treat another. So in matters of sin, we always need to apply scripture, which means we bring grace and truth to abound in that matter. And we don't go light on sin. We don't tolerate sin because we know if we're not eradicating sin, it will be eradicating us. It'll be destroying us. So we need to be really careful on matters of sin. But in gray areas, we have a different approach. And that might be tolerance. Tolerance. So Paul is going to teach us about tolerance today. So one of the gray areas in this text from 1 Corinthians 8... Is this, it's an issue of eating meat that was offered to idols. Now, that idea might seem a little bit trivial to you, but you need to hear the context of this. Because remember, we said that people from all over the place came to Corinth, they all came together. So you've got diverse religions, all of them are sacrificing to different gods, lowercase g, and they're putting an animal on an altar as an offering. And now Christians are looking at that saying, which God was that sacrifice to? And can I, in good conscience, eat the meat that was laid out before this false God? And some people who grew up in those religions were having a really hard time. They were converted from those religions. And now they're having a hard time saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And other people are saying, uh, well, it's no big deal to me. I mean, like I, why would, I, why would I worry about this? Like you were, you were in essence sacrificing to something that doesn't even exist. And I'm not going to like let this meat go to waste. That's an amazing barbecue piece right there. Like I need that. And so they're having a hard time dealing with this issue. And they were asking questions like, is this a moral issue? Is this sin? Is this a gray area? Do we have freedom? Now, before you kind of write this off, um, here's an illustration that might help. If you're a 49ers fan and you were involved in the Battle of the Bay and you were playing the Raiders, well, what used to be the Battle of the Bay and now you have to go to Vegas. But let's say the Raiders and the Niners are playing one another. And as a good 49ers fan, you're like, I'm going to go tailgate. I'm going to go early. We're going to have a great time. All the Niners fans are going to be there. This is going to be awesome. And so you go out there and you make like your best tricep sandwich. It's awesome. It's got like peppers and all sorts of good stuff on top of it. And then a Raider fan comes over and says, "Hey, I've got a better sandwich than you. Would you like to try it?" And you're like, "Ooh, can I eat meat that is offered to a false god? <laughs> to a Raiders team? And if I eat it, am I actually going to jinx my team? Like are they going to lose because of me? Like this is this is rough. and like If my kids see me eat it, will they not see me as a faithful 49er fan? Like, I might corrupt future generations by eating this. Do you see the tension here? Now, if that's how we think about a game, think about something of eternal worth, something of infinite value. And this is what Paul is talking about, and this is why it's such a big issue. So let's turn in our text to 1 Corinthians 8, and if you would stand with me, and we're going to read God's word together. So 1 Corinthians 8, and we're going to start at verse 1. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there are many so called gods, can you notice the little g in that? In heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, capital G, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge, who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not he be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered by idols? And so... Your knowledge, this weak person, is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Thanks be to God for his word. And you may be seated. So in this text, the Holy Spirit gives us three thoughts or tests on tolerance And they are these, when it comes to being tolerant, having love is greater than having an opinion. And then secondly, when it comes to being tolerant, work to understand what the real issue is. And then finally, when it comes to being tolerant, remember the person's value. Now what I want to do with us today is just take us through the text and explain what God is doing here. And then I want to give us some practical illustrations that are going to help us understand it right here at Resonate. Resonate. So, first, when it comes to being tolerant, having love is greater than having an opinion. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 8, just the first three verses there. You notice that Paul starts this subject by using two key phrases. He says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is this In regards to eating meat offered to idols, we all have opinions. We all have opinions. Everyone has an opinion. Some people are just more vocal about their opinions than others. And the church in Corinth, coming from all these diverse backgrounds, had deeply felt opinions about what they should do with meat. Some of them were the religious people that said, it's unclean, I'd never let that touch my lips. And other people said, this is no big deal at all. I don't want to miss out on this meat because it was expensive. And Paul says to them, I know you have opinions, but before you start this argument, can I remind you that your opinion is very limited? See, he says this, verse 2, if anyone imagines he knows something. See, what Paul is saying is your opinion is based upon your limited ideas your limited background, your limited upbringing, your limited epistemology, you are not even considering that someone else might have a different perspective than you. so to the one who was like grew up in, who grew up in church and had a religious background, they had a very purposeful, thoughtful opinion on me to so the one who didn 't grow up in that church background, he had no opinion about. The meat. But they both had an opinion. And what he was saying to them is your limited perspective is making it hard for you to be tolerant. And as Paul calls them out on this limited knowledge, he tells them, having love is greater than having an opinion. See, here's the thing: if you start with opinions, you have the wrong starting point. Because Paul says this: Opinions puff up, but love builds up. In other words, Puffs-ups, make something out of nothing. You build an entire argument from a very limited viewpoint. I I remember, um, you know, back in Modesto, there was lots of farmers. And it always seemed like farmers would get out to work, you know, early in the mornings, and they would sit behind their trucks, and they would have world peace figured out by like 7 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) The president should be doing this. Rush Limbaugh should be talking about this. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, I can't even manage my own life, let alone the whole country from the back of my truck. Like, that's amazing. See, what they were doing was they were building an entire knowledge base based upon their very limited opinion. Do you see that? We did it as contractors too, so it wasn't just the farmers that were doing that. And I would probably say all of us do this in some regard or another. But the other part that Paul says is knowledge puffs up, but love Builds up. In other words, it helps you get closer to being loved. And there's this idea of just compassionate curiosity. Tell me your experience. Tell me what you're thinking when we come to this issue. Tell me, help me understand a little bit more about what you see when we're talking about meat offered to idols. I want to know what's in your heart over this issue. And so Paul says, in talking to the church, He says, this is how you learn to be tolerant is on gray areas. Remember, we're not talking about sin areas, but he says you learn to be tolerant by saying having love is greater than having an opinion. Well, once they figured out that their opinions are limited and that love was the greatest way, we see the next point. When it comes to being tolerant, work to understand the real issue. And When Paul starts talking to them in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 4, he says to them, hey, one of the most loving things that we can do in any relationship is not jump to conclusions. Like don't jump to conclusions. If you realize that that's that's one of the most loving things that we can do for our brothers and sisters. See, in gray areas, it's very important for us to realize what is the key issue here. And for Paul, he tells them in 1 Corinthians 8:4, he's like, "Listen, when people are offering food to when they're offering meat to idols, Idols don't even exist. It is like you are offering a a sacrifice to the boogeyman. There's nothing there. So in his conscience, this is nothing. It's like you are offering something to the wind, to the air. So he's like, "This, this isn't even a real issue to me at all. I don't care about meat offered to idols. It doesn't mean a thing to me. But then he helps him to see that since this is a gray area, a preference issue the real issue is the heart of the people. He makes them ask the question, you know what, if my brothers and sisters are going to struggle because I I do this, how can I help them see the love of Jesus more? See, the people who are having a hard time with this, the people who are trying to walk with God, the people who were raised in a different perspective than them, the people who might think differently, the real issue to them is, I don't want to cause my brother to be confused. I want to help him. I want to help my sister walk in this in a great way. And so in the gray areas, Paul is saying to them, work to understand the real issue. You have freedom in this issue. And it's not a matter of eating meat. It's a matter of really loving your brothers and sisters well. And Paul teaches the church of Corinth to say, since it's a gray area, how can I love, how can I help the people around me the best? Now, this is hard. Um, you know, just think about it like this. I mean, if this really is a gray area and this is something that you're like, well, why would I even make a big deal out of this? It's so petty. Like, it's meat offered to idols. Why Why does this become a big deal to me? And really the question is, why would I inconvenience myself for somebody else? That's the question in a preference issue, right? If One person says, hey, meat offered to idols is fine. The other one says, no, actually, I'm not okay with it. Both have to come together and say, well, am I willing to inconvenience myself in this preference issue? And this is where the third point comes in. When it comes to being tolerant, remember the person's value. And look at 1 Corinthians 8, verses 11 through 13. Do you you guys watch the uh, Christmas show Elf? How many of you watched Elf before? do you live in America? Like, I think every, I asked this question to our Thursday night service and like, there were a bunch of people that had never seen Elf before. And I'm like, what do you do with your time? Like, I don't even know how you stay away from Elf. So there's this, um, there's this scene at the beginning of Elf where Walter, who is on Santa's naughty list, and they're trying to prove that he's on the naughty list. Uh, he's a book publisher and uh, he, has donated, he has He's like sold a bunch of books to the orphanage. The orphanage can't pay for the books, so he's had them retrieved. He's had them pulled back. And there's a nun sitting at his desk saying, "But the children love the books." And then she says this like totally manipulative, great line: "It's for the children." Anybody remember that? Like you know, and you're like, "Oh, it's for the children." Well. Paul actually ups the ante here. He goes one step further because when the church asks, why should I inconvenience myself for someone else over something that is so, so petty, he says, oh, you mean the one for who Christ died? Oh, do you realize you're sitting next to someone for whom Christ died? It's like he went nuclear on that argument. He ups the ante all the way. And the truth is, as they looked at each other and were trying to figure out how to tolerate each one's preferences, the way they saw each other would completely change if they understood the person's value looking at them. You know, if you are... if you're, I'm using, like, football illustrations to you guys, which I know 5% of you get because you're all engineers. So, But, like, I hope you're having a Super Bowl party this afternoon. If nothing else, just to watch the commercials you know, but I hope you're having one just because it's a great time to get together with people. It's a great time to have your one over. It's a great time just to build friendships so that you can speak the love of God into each other's lives. And it's a great time to just watch football. Now, if you're, if you're, you know, sitting there having a, f- a football party, and you're thinking, I don't have a football party and I'm going to invite Jim over. Well, you might have a favorite chair. You might have like favorite little snacks that you have And if you're inviting Jim over, you're like, oh, I'm not really going to change anything for him. It's just Jim, you know? He's going to drink what I drink. I'm going to sit in my favorite chair. He's going to sit in the other one, you know? And it's not a big deal. But how about if Rihanna showed up to your Super Bowl party? Or how about Joe Montana or Jerry Rice? Like, how about if they showed would you all of a sudden be like, oh my gosh, this whole thing's going to change. I'm going to give up on my preferences because of the importance of the person who's showing up in this place. See, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, you would be okay with an inconvenience. You would be okay giving up on a gray area if you knew the value of the person who is in front of you and actually the person in front of you is valuable because it's the one for whom Christ died. And you know what? When you actually begin to look at it from this motivation, it actually enables you not just to die to self and accept the preference of the other person, but it actually helps you to enjoy. Like, oh, I can do this for you because you are an infinitely important person. So let's recap. In preference issues, remember, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about sin issues here. We're talking about preference issues. Things like, can you read Harry Potter or not? Okay? Things like, um, is Tolkien okay? Can you watch Lord of the Rings as a Christian? In preference issues, Paul is telling the church that they need to learn to be tolerant. And tolerance is the ability or the willingness to tolerate something, in particular the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. So you see things differently. How am I going to be tolerant? That's what tolerance is. And when it comes to being tolerant, having love is greater than having opinion. You've got to work to understand what is the real issue. It's your brother and sister. And then you've got to remember that person's value. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time just making this super practical for us. Because, you know, we live in a society where meat offered to idols may not be the best example for us, but we have plenty of them. And just like the church in Corinth, when we come together as Resonate, we are diverse, so many backgrounds, so much difference here. There's diversity in ethnicity. There's economic status difference. Like some of us are wealthy. Some of us are not so wealthy. There's generational differences. There's young children all the way through older people. There's educational backgrounds. Some of you have blue collars. Some of you have white collars. Some of you have no collars. And some of you think you have golden collars. And I don't know who you are, but... There's diversity in relationships and gender. There's some people who are married here. Some people who are divorced. Some people who are single. Some people who are dating. Some of them have been given the gift of celibacy. And there's diversity in church backgrounds here. Like some of you, you like to say, I was born in a church. In other words, your parents were believers and you've been raised as a believer. Others came to know Jesus later in life. Others just started coming here and they still haven't become a believer And they're still trying to figure this thing out. And that is awesome. We are so glad you were here. Some of you came from Baptist backgrounds. Some of you came from Apostolic. Some from Presbyterian. Some Methodist. Some from Calvary Chapel. Some from non-denominational. Some of you have no church background at all. But here's the thing. Depending on your background, you are going to have a very strong opinion. About how we should do these things. How we should baptize how we should serve communion, how we should, what we should wear to church. You know, when I was a kid, my mom said, you wear your best for Jesus. Right? Did anybody else have that experience? But these are gray areas, right? These are, like my mom would have killed me for wearing jeans and now I'm preaching in jeans. Like, (laughs) my goodness. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, well, Okay. I do love my mom like crazy. She's amazing. So, but the question is, is how do we bring, how do we come together with such diverse backgrounds, such opinions, such beautiful opinions. You guys have beautiful opinions. You know that? But how do we come together to bring glory to God? How do we make disciples that make disciples by making much of Jesus for the glory of God? Because that's, that's who we are. It's resonate. That's what we're doing. How do we come together with all these opinions and these gray areas? And how do we have a spirit of tolerance towards one another? I want to give you a couple of examples. So the first one I want to pick on is alcohol. You went for the jugular there, right? You know, according to Ephesians 5.18, as long as you're not getting drunk, this is a preference issue. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine or don't let another spirit control you, is what he talks about. So I don't care if this is alcohol or any any sort of substance that has an impact upon your life and makes you not able to be in control. That's what he's talking about here. But he says, as long as you're not getting drunk, as long as you're not being controlled by another spirit, it's a preference issue. But we all come with all sorts of backgrounds, right? If you're Southern Baptist in here, you came from a Southern Baptist, you think I just spoke heresy. Because you are a teetotaler to the to the core, and that's what you grew up with. Um, some of you are kids of alcoholics, and you're like, "I saw the damage that it did to my family. I will never let alcohol come into my home." And some of you are still struggling with alcohol, and you're trying to figure out how to get over it. And so we, as a church, are trying to come alongside you and trying to figure out how does this work. And so all the opinions, all the different life stages come together and we're trying to figure out how to really love each other in this gray area, in this preference issue. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to remember that having love is greater than having an opinion. We all have opinions about this subject. You know, my experience, I grew up in the UK. You know what the drinking age in the UK is? Fourteen. If you go to a pub with your parents... At 14, they will serve you a beer. And you're like, that's horrific. Well, is it? Because in England, they don't have the same type of problem that we have here. It's not really like drink to get drunk over there. It's more like drink to have a social experience. That's why they drink warm beer. Because by the time they actually get through the pint, it's going to be warm anyway. So you may as well start warm. (laughs) You, you, You see? So like my experience growing up was very different about alcohol. In fact... I remember when I was little, my parents inviting the pastor back to our house for lunch. And before lunch, they would have a little like sip of sherry or a sip of uh, brandy or something like that. Very sophisticated, like the British do. You know, keep calm and carry on. That was my experience. But when I hang out with some of you and I hear your terrifying experiences of parents who abused you because of alcohol. Oh, my gosh. Then I realized I I can't just I can't just have an opinion over this preference issue based upon my thinking. Because some of you have been so wounded over this. Some of you have scars a third and fourth generation in your life, and you've been trying to cope with addictive personality because of something that happened before you even got here. And it's brutal. And all of a sudden, my tiny little opinion about growing up in Britain and having safe places to drink is blown out of the water by a much larger perspective on drinking. See, having love, having compassionate curiosity to go in and ask questions about, well, tell me how you think about this, is much greater than just having an opinion, just letting my knowledge puff me up, thinking I know more than I actually do. And then once I've... Have love and have an opinion, then I need to remember what the real issue is here. See, the real issue isn't alcohol, is it? It never is alcohol. The real issue is the person sitting across the table. It's you sitting in front of me, whom I love. And me saying, I I, I want the best for you. And I want to do things that are going to be helpful to you in this scenario. And I want to do things that aren't going to confuse you or make you stumble. I I want to help you. Because it's not about alcohol. It's about loving one another. It's about seeing the needs of your heart and me saying, man, I, I, I want to help. And you know what? I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to have that be an inconvenience to me. It might seem like a petty thing to me because I... I've never been drunk. That's not even a temptation that I deal with. That's not, but I'm willing to deal with that inconvenience in my life. Why? Because of the next point. Because I know who you are. You're the one who Christ died for. Listen, Resonate, I'll give up alcohol all day, every day, because of you. If that's what it takes, this preference issue, this preference issue, I'll give it up. Why? Because you are the one that Christ died for. You are that important. (laughs) Man, that's a beautiful thing. How about we pick on another one? How about worship styles? Oh, Jim, come on. You know, Scripture is not directive on worship styles. Um, No text tells us that we can or cannot use drums, guitars, trumpets, kazoos. Or any other instrument. Don't you just wish we could all bring kazoos one day and just like go at it? that would be awesome? Let's just be charismatic like that. That would be great. No, no text tells us about amplification. Um, you know, no text tells us whether or not we can use lighting. There's, there's nothing about that. But there are scriptures that gives us examples of worship. And you know what they say? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's what we're commanded to do. But with all of our backgrounds, making a joyful noise looks really different. For me being a Brit, hymns. Hymns sung loudly. Doesn't matter if you're on tune or out of tune. Just hymns sung loudly. For others of us, it's quiet and reflective music. For some, it is a noisy, concert-like moment where the music is so loud that it drowns out your voice so you can sing as loud as you want and not even care. For others, dancing. For others of us, taking your hands out of your pockets is a charismatic experience. (laughs) And you're like, man, I really felt the Spirit today. Dang, I'm all in. I'm going to go home and cry now. (laughs) Others of you, you love it when men lead. And others of you are like, I love it when a woman leads in worship. It's just a beautiful thing. There's so many preference issues. And these are not sin issues. So how do we deal with worship? We remember having love is greater than having an opinion. See, if you are... Latino or Filipino or Chinese or Taiwanese or Indian or British or Korean or African or African American, you come from a very different background. And we have to understand the other. We have to have compassionate curiosity. I remember one time I went and preached in Africa, in South Africa, and I got up there for like 35 minutes and preached a a sermon. Some of you would have died, it was so long, you know, 35 minutes. And they thought I was the warm-up act because their services go like two hours of preaching. You know, the, the the pastor who invited me to preach there, he gets on stage after me and he's like, was that it? And I'm like, that's all I got, man. He took my main point without any rehearsing or practicing or anything and went for the next two hours just talking about my main point. I'm like impressed, you know. And bored. Like, that was way too long. Like, I can't handle it. But if you're from South Africa, you're probably used to that. And that's a beautiful thing. See, having love is much greater than having an opinion. There's no right or wrong there. It's just the way. Right? So I'm I'm having compassionate curiosity in our worship. And then we remember, what is the real issue here? It's not worship style. Worship style is never the real issue. It is the brother or sister that need our encouragement and help. And, and, and do you realize, like, most of the time, our black and Latino brothers who have attended Protestant evangelical churches are so tired of listening to Coldplay do worship. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, who's Coldplay? <laughs> it's a white band. That's what it is. And they just play, like, mellow like rock symphonies. It's great. It's awesome if you're into Coldplay, but let me tell you, like I had one of the most worshipful experiences the other day when we were here and it was a Thursday night service and our band, which is very diverse and seems to be able to have the gift of God to produce all sorts of different types of music for us, which is beautiful. And I'm sitting in the back and I'm and I'm listening to this one song, which is just ecstatic and lots of beats and lots of, and I'm watching some black and Latino brothers and sisters dance during worship. And it just made my heart happy. Because I'm like, finally, you're getting your preference in our worship service. They're getting to worship their Lord and Savior from their background, from their thought, from their And I'm just like overjoyed for them. Even though it may not be the one that I choose. Do you see it? It's not right or wrong. It's a preference issue. And I'm just delighting in them. Why? Because we remember that this is the brother or sister that Christ died for. Even though they might be creating an inconvenience for me. Because, you know, honestly, like I can't even clap on one and three. Like, I, I like... I try and watch Pastor Ryan because he's way better than this than me. I can't, like, if he's clapping, I'll clap with him. If he's not clapping, I'm out because I'll just look like an idiot, you know? My, I think one of my wife's biggest disappointments in our marriage is that I cannot dance at all. It's just horrific. You know, when we go to weddings and I'm like, I'm going to dance today, she's like, calm down. <laughs> like, this would not be good. But here I can watch other people just enjoy God's goodness preference issue because they're the ones that Christ died for. Now, we need to admit, um, for some of us, this is going to be easier than others. I have a pretty happy-go-lucky personality, and I know some of you have like a perfectionist personality. So you're like, no, it has to go this way. And, and, and I've got to admit that I will freely, I'm not a rules guy, you know? So this is pretty easy for me to stand up here and teach this. And I know for some of you, you're having a harder time because you're like, no, I, I see things a certain way, and I've always seen things a certain way. So where do we find the power to live this out? And, and here's the thing. It may come as a surprise to you, but do you know this? Jesus would not always choose your preference. Jesus would not always choose your preference. I mean, think about it this way. like Some of you like two-buck chuck, super cheap wine from 7-Eleven. And when Jesus made wine, he made the good stuff. The stuff that millionaires put in their their wine cellars. But you know, he'll drink two-buck chuck with you because he loves you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. Some of you... Think five guys is the best burger chain. And Jesus obviously likes In and Out the most. I mean, look, he even put scripture on the cups. So you know, like, if you, like, Jesus knows all day long where he's going. But you know what? He'd go to Five Guys with you because he loves you and he wants to be with you. Some of you are Democrats. Some of you are Republicans, and Jesus is clearly an independent. You don't see, and yet he still loves to hang out with you. Some of you were homeschooled, and others went to public school. Jesus clearly prefers trade school, right? He was a carpenter, like he's like, let's do on-the-job training. It's so much more efficient. But he's willing to hang out with you because he loves you. Some of you wear tennis shoes. Some of you wear skate shoes. Jesus wears flip-flops and sandals, but definitely not sandals with socks. But if you wear sandals with socks, he'll hang out with you. Maybe. Because he loves you like crazy. See, Jesus knows this, that in the preference issues, having love is greater than having an opinion. And his opinions are perfect. He's the only one that gets to be truly opinionated. And yet he humbles himself to come to us. And I can just imagine that the King of kings and the Lord of lords listening to us about our preferences. Me, 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 me. You know, like this, like, you don't even know. You can't even see the fullness of, well, Jesus, this is what we should be doing. And he's like... He's just like, this is hilarious. You have such a strong opinion over something when you, you only see it from a very limited perspective, and yet he sees it from the entirety of all creation, from past, present, future. And like Paul says, knowledge puffs up. Our opinions are silly at best, and our opinions are actually sinful at most because we're, we're choosing the second best. We're not choosing the best of the best. But Jesus knows that having love is better than having an opinion. And Jesus knows the real issue of the heart. He's like, I always skip all the preference issues because I want to get to the sin issue that's destroying you. I want to get to the sin issue that's separating you from my love. That's where I want to get to. And so he puts up with our preferences so that he can say, I love you. And he does it because he remembers our value. We are his creation made in his image. And so what does Jesus do? He leaves heaven. He becomes a human being. He lives a perfect life. He's mocked. He's beaten. He's scorned. He's ridiculed. He's spat upon. And then he gives his life for us. That's the most understated inconvenience of all eternity. And yet in Jesus giving up his preferences... We find new life. See, we get to trust him as our savior and make him Lord over all of our preferences and opinions. And that's the work of redemption and restoration. And when we realize how tolerant Jesus is of us, when we realize that Jesus doesn't always choose our opinions, wow, it makes us able to be far more tolerant of each other far more tolerant and to be able to say you are the one for whom Christ died. Let's do it your way this time. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to say thank you for your word for us. God, we we ask that you would forgive us for being so hardcore and opinionated on preference issues. We pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for always thinking that our opinions are better. And God, we pray that you would help us to see the other. Lord, to open up our perspective to their perspective. Maybe to see things from a different position altogether. And God, we pray that we could do this because we value each other as being the ones who Christ died for. And Lord, we know you didn't just die for the people in this room. You died for all who would believe in you. And so we pray that we actually be able to go out and be tolerant of people in the world as well because you died for them. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to us today, Father. Thanks for your Holy Spirit just connecting with us. We, we're so thankful and we love you. Amen. Let's give Him praise.